Dear Founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to the latest episode of Dear Founder. I can't wait for you to meet today's guests. There are two, Emily Ward and Jess Hunnishan, co-founders of Shine Talent Group. But before I introduce you, I want to let you know that tomorrow is the last day to reserve your spot for my first ever small business marketing bootcamp, which starts next week. Last week, many of you joined me for my first ever social media challenge. Watching your social media insights light up green and your confidence grow within your process set the stage to roll the social piece up into a greater strategic marketing approach. Throughout the month of February, my small business marketing bootcamp will cover partnerships and collaborations, grassroots marketing, email marketing, and content strategy. It will show you how it all impacts your social media and how your social media impacts it all. A lot of you listening have limited resources, both people and budget, and wonder how you're going to make an impact and drive sales. My small business marketing bootcamp is going to help you get started and also help you to make it happen. Check out the link in my show notes for more or visit lindsaypinchuk.com to reserve your spot. Doors close Friday, February 4th at 11.59 p.m. I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guests and to let you in on a unique conversation. Emily Ward and Jess Hunnishan are the coveted influencer marketing experts and co-founders of Shine Talent Group, the leading buzzed-about influencer talent management agency. They've been featured in outlets such as Women's Wear Daily, Business Insider, and The Daily Front Row. In today's conversation, we talk about everything from how they got started to tips for businesses who want to use influencers and tips for those who want to become influencers, and so much more. Shine Talent Group represents 90-plus notable influencers and social talent between its LA and Toronto offices. It's worked with brands such as Amazon, Revolve, Unilever, and L'Oreal on influencer campaigns, leveraging their company's robust talent roster. Come on in and meet Emily Ward and Jess Hunnishan. All right. So today on the podcast, I have Jess Hunnishan and Emily Ward of Shine Talent Group. And I will say that these two women are incredibly impressive. They own an agency that is dedicated to influencer talent. And they started this agency before I would say influencer was even a word or on many of our radars. <laughs> They've been featured in Women's Wear Daily and Business Insider, amongst many other publications. And I'm just so intrigued by your business, ladies, because as we know, Instagram is such a force behind what mm -hmm. so many of us do on a daily basis. So welcome to Dear Founder. Thank you. Thank you so much Thank for having you. us. We're so excited. Great to be here. <laughs> of course, it's so great to have you here. And I, I 
would love to kick off by having you share some background about how you started your agency, why influencer talent, especially in 2015, Mm -hmm. and what exactly it is that you do. Totally. So I'll um I'll kick it off and give you a quickie background of, of myself first. Um, so I'm Jess. I'm I'm from Melbourne, Australia, which is where I currently am, but not usually. Um, so typically I split my time between uh, Toronto and LA, but home in Melbourne for a little visit, which is nice. Um, so I moved to Toronto in 2014, I think. My gosh, the years are just a blur. Um, and I met Emily not long after, like a, maybe four or five months after I'd moved to Toronto and was like looking for work and figuring out what I was going to do. Um, and M after working in like big agency world had had her babies and then, um, started her own freelance company. So we met, like, I guess, M, how long had you been working freelance when we met a couple of years? Two years. Yeah. About two years. Yeah. So I started after Ethan that I had had me. It's about like two years. Yeah. It was still yeah. Yeah. So we, we met right around that time and, you know, I was, I'd been looking for a job for like months and no one would hire me. It was a disaster. Um, and so then I met Em and she was like, I'll hire you right away. I'm like, excellent. <laughs> this is great. I really needed that. Um, so we, we met Em, you know, as you know, we've talked about many, many times kind of had like a little bit too much on her plate as a freelancer, but as anyone who is a freelancer, will know and attest to and, you know, probably roll their eyes out as well. It's like, you just can't say no to anything, right? Like when you're in that and that mode, 100%. because like, what if, but like, what if I don't get the next job or what if they don't come back to me again? And then you're, you know, you're in a really tough spot. So she was like out there being like a freelancer saying yes to everything and then having a little bit too much going on. And then I uh, just rolled in right around that time. And I was like, I can take on anything. I've... <laughs> I got no obligations, no plans, no nothing. You're the, dream, you are the dream employee. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's funny you say that because I always joke that I'm like the world's worst employee. Um, but uh, but anyway, so M, uh, we met right around that time, as I said, maybe four or five months after I'd moved to Toronto and just like really instantly clicked. So the day that we met, we like started working together. And I think it, it was never really, it never felt like this for me anyway, um, correct me if, if you felt differently, but it never felt like an employee relationship really. No, at, at no, no, no. Like I was a freelancer and so was Jess. So it was more yeah. about like sharing work like together and, and collaborating. Like how, how, yeah. Yeah. And like how, how far we could, we could take it that way. So, um, so yeah, so we started working on, on contracts together and it gave us like more ability to do more things together. And then I had gotten an opportunity at, um, an agency to come in and be like a contract, um, content director. And then Jess also had an opportunity to do some work with them. Um, and I think that's where we kind of like learned how well we gelled together. We were given a ton of different opportunities and really could see like our strengths that way and started to book like some like bigger meetings as well. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that was kind of like a pivotal point for us because we started to book like some, some big, exciting meetings. And we didn't really want to go in as just being like Jess and M, which we were just kind of had been doing for a number of months and having like a ton of fun doing it. Um, but we wanted to go in and position ourselves like a bit stronger. So like, well, why don't we, why don't we start an agency? Because in that way, 
you know, we can go in and we can like be a team, like a full team and then kind of position ourselves as like being, you know, a larger support to the different brands and agencies. So that's really why we started Shine. Like it wasn't, um, it wasn't something that like involved big business plans or really like, we just didn't know Jess no was- um, anchor client or anything no, like that. No, <laughs> no. Plan. And like Jess was, Jess was here like, like in Canada on like, um, like under 30 like visa like you only really be here for like a two-year yeah. visa yeah I had a two-year work visa my gosh my immigration woes um but yeah I, I had a two-year work visa and as I said like I went like like a solid four to five months without working at all and I was like I really I'm gonna use this work visa um so yeah I was uh, I was eating into it so when you guys, you launch Shine, and I think the the biggest thing that a lot of entrepreneurs have told me here on this podcast is I had no plan. There was no plan. It was just a situation that evolved yeah. into a business. And so how did it then become this influencer talent agency? How, I know, what, what happened? I, I think it's so like ironic, really, because in all of you know the business schools and courses that you take, there's such an emphasis on planning and it's not that we didn't have a loose plan or even now like don't have we we have plans that the um i i really believe strongly that like the entrepreneur's like brain by putting like too much structure in place in terms of those like like deep um, business plans, it can be really restrictive in terms of creativity yes. and just like the flexibility and adaptability you have to have to find your way. So you asked um, how we shifted from Shine PR into Shine Influencers. If we had a business plan for Shine PR, Shine Influencers never would have happened at all. Um, but what did happen is as we were trying to create a niche for ourselves as being a boutique PR agency, we recognized that it was oddly more difficult to get um, contracts as an agency than it was as freelancers. Work came actually very easily to both of us as freelancers, very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we switched to an agency and then all of a sudden we were in competition with the people who had hired us to be their freelance contractors, mm-hmm. it became pretty tricky. So we um, chose to open up Shine Influencers as being like a way to make ourselves competitive in the PR landscape. Jess had seen an agency out in Australia who was doing something like loosely the the, the same in terms of representing social talent um, as talent managers, but nobody was like fully doing it in Canada or there were some people who had started to dabble in it, but certainly didn't um, have like full full ownership over like the category. There was a huge opportunity. So we launched Shine Influencers nine months after launching Shine PR and launched super loud because Jess and I come from PR backgrounds. We know how to make a big splash. We um, hosted a a huge party on a dime because we had no money and Mm -hmm. uh, invited all of our competitors, invited like all the competitive PR agencies. It was quite like shocking. Like I feel like now everyone uses the term disruptive, which I hate but it was really disruptive at the time because people were like wait we're your competitor like why would you invite us to your party and we're like just come like you'll work with us so when you launched shine influencers was it was it a kind of a subsidiary or a branch of shine of shine pr or how did you how was it positioned and Hmm. why did your competitors want to come to your party like it it was set up separately in that like it had its own name and everything but like at the time we had like we had like one like part-time employee, like barely, like she had interned with us and we gave her like a little bit of like work for like a stupid low cost, but like bless her heart. She like stuck with us. Um, 
Those are so the like, best employees. Love. Um, and so we, like, it was like the team, it, there wasn't like a separate team on Shine PR and Shine Influencers. Like we all kind of did it together. Um, so I think even still now, like some people more in Toronto than anywhere else would be like, oh, it's Shine PR. I'm like, no, like it's really like evolved like a lot since then. And we really thought, as Em said, that it would be a way for us to get more PR business. So we're like, okay, if the influencer division, like in the most ideal of worlds, like let's think like huge, it will like pay for one person's salary. We're like, that would be like mind blowingly amazing. amazing. <laughs> Like so you when, you, like when you launched, people salary. <laughs> <laughs> when you launched Shine Influencers, what was Shine Influencers? Describe it to me, and then I and then the follow up to that is, and what is it today? Yeah, so it was always talent management. Like talent management is what it was then, and it is still what it is today. Like it's tweaked and and evolved and grown, of course, um, but we set it up as a way to be um, like the go between with the brands and the talent or the, you know, the brands and the agencies and the talent, because we, we saw so much value in the social talent. We're like, you guys are doing amazing things. You, your audiences are so loyal. They have complete trust in what you say. Brands want to work with you. But again, like this is 2015. So like I say this all the time, but like influencer years are like dog years, like one mm-hmm. is seven. So it's like 10 lifetimes ago. Um, so like no one knew, like, do you pay influencers? How do you pay them? I don't pay a journalist. Like, why would I pay an influencer? Like a lot of those hurdles we had to get over in the first kind of, you know, couple of years really, um, to have brands really understand the value of the, the influencer. But, you know, that's certainly been like, it's always been one of our huge strengths is that we've been able to like see the potential in these talent and and we wanted to advocate for them. And I think, you know, especially as women in business, right? Like we know this, like it's so hard to advocate for ourselves. And we saw that with the talent who we're working with and we're like, we will advocate for you because we believe in, in what you do and the message that you have. And I think it was like, also just like understanding the other like side of the business as well, like like Jess and I coming from you know PR backgrounds, like agency backgrounds, like we got it, like we understood like the challenges that the PR agencies were going through. By like there was a ton of um, media outlets that were that were shut down in 2015, so it was like harder for you know publicists to get like good hits and stuff like that. So they kind of needed to get them from the bloggers, but the bloggers weren't giving them what they needed at the same time. We we understood that, and we could speak the language of the clients or of like the PR agencies, and we could help them get what they needed as well like out of the collaboration and then I feel like because of that because they weren't just um you know working with with bloggers and getting like zero results they started to get really strong results and then it was easy to prove um value against that as well so when was it that you guys realized okay this is something we're on to something we've now paid for more than one person's salary mm-hmm. and it, you realized that you weren't just shine PR anymore, that this, you had a talent management company. I think it was, I think it was M you'll remember this when we got that like first, like bigger deal for Alyssa. I think that dollar deal. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time it was a huge deal. Like we were doing deals for like a hundred dollars, $200. Like it started when I say small, like small. And we take a 20% commission of that. Like 
it's like it was nickels and dimes. Well, because people weren't did it this it wasn't a thing. Like people were exactly. paying to put their stuff they, on Instagram. They weren't. So we did the first deal that we did that was twelve hundred dollars, which I I think was in the first like month or two, but maybe I have like a really like rose colored memory. Um, <laughs> but I remember when we did that and we're like, oh, like we made it. <laughs> we did it. Like we hit the big time. Um, <laughs> so I, I think it it was really early on and like seeing the response from like the part, like the launch party, the response from the talent, like it was, I, I say this a lot. It's something that like, it wasn't easy. It was really freaking hard, but like a lot of it like came easily. Like we worked so hard for it, but when we had conversations with talent, especially like they were, they were so into it. They like, they were like instantly on board. We got like um, a lot of good, like positive feedback, even if the business wasn't there. Right? Cause like people said no to us like all the time. Like we met with PR agencies and brands and they flat out would say yes like you like ladies are lovely but we will never pay for influencers like we flat out will never as policy we will never pay for influencers isn't that crazy how the ties then, have changed yes. <laughs> and we'll be like thank you like we'll, we'll, we'll be like we'll see you in a couple of months like I think also like I feel like I think back now feeling like we did it with like a lot of like grace and ease because like as em said like we both come from pr backgrounds like i think we're both like immune to nose like i in my like again like perfectly rose colored memory like i don't remember anyone saying no to us like in my mind oh my God, they, they all said i said i remember so many of them and i'm like, all said, no, we're so- <laughs> I'm like everything was fine it was great like so i did so now do, so now do you find that many of those competitors that were at your launch party are utilizing you for their influencer services oh yeah, yeah. there is i, I still like, remember distinctly there was one agency who told us they would never like work with us and then they actually approached us for an acquisition like for a merger at one point so we're like well like t- times change they did they, they changed pretty quickly and i think it just took yeah. um, people a little bit of time and a little bit of like experience and proof points to be able to trust what we were saying like was going to work. How is it that you find the talent? Do you guys scout people or not you, but your team, do you scout people on Instagram to, to find talent to manage or how do they come to you and apply? How does that work? A bit of both. Um, So our team are like constantly scouting. Like it's, it's kind of like an always on part of their job. Like they're always doing it and they're so like immersed in the social space. Right. It's like, it's not like the ones who do it really, really well. And some people just excel at it. It's like, it's perfectly in their skill set. Like people just like fall into their like TikTok algorithm or their Instagram algorithm, because that's like, they're the people that they're looking at online. So like they get pushed more of the same. Um, But we also have talent apply to be represented multiple times every day. Um, and you know, we're, we're extremely, extremely selective in terms of who we represent and very mindful of our, like the current talent we have and making sure that we have a team who is not overloaded and that like, no one has too many talent to handle. Like, you know, so what is it that you look for in talent? What is important? Um, so I would say like three major things, like there's three key factors. Um, so they are content numbers and the message. Um, so the content, like this is like 
quick glance, like what are they talking about? What are they doing? What style of content is it? Are we into it? Yes, no. Then the next one is the numbers. Obviously, like we're looking at how many followers they have and and we probably wouldn't consider anyone under, say, 20,000 followers. Um, But it's more about like what are the metrics? Like what's the engagement as we dig further into it? Like like, what photos are people saving? What photos are people sharing? How many? What are the impressions? Like all of like the, the not so much like surface level metrics. And then the third one, which is like just really important to us and we spend the most time on this part for sure, is like what is their message? Like do they have something to say? Like are they adding value to a very cluttered social space? Mm-hmm. Um, are their audience like really invested in what they've got going on? Um, are they Have they been following them a long time? Like what's the growth patterns been? Um, and just like <laughs> I... I hate saying this, but it's so true. Like we love having talent who, if a brand comes to us and says, I really want to work with talent X, we say, oh, like they can't, they're in an exclusive partnership with a competitor, but we have someone else who'd probably be amazing. Like, do you want to see some more options? And like, ah, no, like that person is like so on brand. Um, So talent who like will really like, they have like strong opinions and beliefs and will like stand by them. Um, and whilst it can be polarizing, the brands who love them just keep coming back like more and more and more. When was it that you guys decided to expand and open up in LA and become, you know, this, not only are you bi-coastal by doing that, but you're in two countries and it's, Mm -hmm. that's a whole other probably level of your business. So when did that happen and how and why? (laughs) Another one that we didn't really have like a firm like step and stone plan for either but we we found our way like through it so we um we at first we did try to open up an office out of texas we kept on hearing people talk about austin it just came up in conversation like gosh like you know seven times or something in a very short period of, of time and we're like oh we gotta get down there and like see what's going on i feel like everybody's talking about like uh, texas about, about austin we went down there and, and there was amazing talent down there it was just absolutely amazing like we should we should get it like a, a go we should hire a talent manager down there and you know like try to see if we can have a presence like in the u.s that way um and you know long story short like we uh, we went off like guns blazing, but it, it didn't work out for us. We didn't um, spend enough time down there ourselves. We didn't have like, the right processes together for expansion at that point in time. Um, and the Texas, um, you know, satellite office, it only lasted like about like a year. But we learned so much from that experience. And I think we took all of the missteps that we had. We're like, okay, if we're going to do this, like we have to go full force, like into LA, like we have to do this and we have to put the investment of like our personal time behind it it doesn't work without Jess and I like together it just doesn't like we need to be like physically there to um, to get it going so that's what we did like we we then oh gosh what, like almost four years ago now Jess like yeah it, it like almost then? four years ago but yeah as Em yeah. said like we we really looked at like what didn't work in Texas and like it ended up just being the perfect like little trial that like didn't like impact the business negatively at all, but it made entering into LA very successful. And I think if LA had been our first trial, that would have been quite detrimental if we like tried, failed, 
yeah. then I don't think you could have like I relaunched so in LA. I appreciate you guys sharing this and sharing this part of your business because I, I do think there are so many times when entrepreneurs don't share a moment when they failed mm-hmm. and, and whatnot, but you learned so much from it. And yeah. I can also appreciate this. When I expanded my own business, I we failed as well. And yeah. it, we put the cart before our horse in some regards when we were expanding out of Chicago and we kind of had to backpedal a little bit yeah. and then we figured out a different way and we learned so much yeah. by doing that. And sometimes it's those failures that really propel you into the next stratosphere, totally. right? Totally. Yeah. I remember actually in our talent interviews, we, we used to do casting trips more um, back in the day. So we had done a casting trip down to LA and we met with a bunch of, we did like 35 meetings in five days, met with like a ton of talent. And, and that's how we kind of started off with like our first roster. Um, but I do remember us like sharing that with them as well, kind of uh, to legitimize the fact that like we like were serious, and, like this wasn't like our first kick at the can and we were successful in Canada we like have learned from trying in Texas and like, we're here to do it like right this time. And I feel like it gave people a lot of confidence knowing that we, we had had that failure. I think it was, and you know, and with Justin and with uh, shine as a whole, we try things, we try things like every year that are new, some of them work, some of them don't. Um, But I think we have a really good culture for just, for giving it like our best go and like taking the learnings from what we can and not being afraid to try a new market or try like a new revenue stream or something. Because I feel like if not, like those are the companies who have like an expiration date and like, we don't want to have one. Mm -hmm. Oh, you talked about earlier in the conversation, you talked about how you had that one little part-time employee who was kind of helping you when you started shine to start when you launched shine influencers where are you guys now? How many employees do you have? How many offices do you have? I mean, you have LA and Toronto. Is there another yeah. office as well? No, LA and Toronto. And we we made a few people offers today, actually. So I'm like, maybe there's an update. Um, but I, mm. uh, as of like last count, I think with the newest hire, we're at 36 team members, um, which is like crazy. I'm like, who are they? Like, where did they come from? Like, <laughs> We Congratulations, we because that's huge. I mean, it's huge. You guys mm-hmm. should be so proud of yourselves. Yeah, it's we, like we I are. Like, I think I was gonna say. I think it's 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 for myself. Like with a lot of the growth happening over like the past two years, so it seems um, like so bizarre to me to think about that large of a team because we have not all ever been in one room. Our teams are split between Toronto and LA. So we've never had the experience. We have them all on Zoom sometimes for like our all shine meetings. And even that, I'm like, ah, there's like so like many. We have to scan, we have to scroll across to like a new page of people. I was gonna <laughs> ask you how I mean, obviously time spent online increased tremendously over the last two years. And so how has that affected your business? And how, you know, we talk a lot about the pandemic in terms of you know the negative aspects, but mm. I mean, for the business that I once owned, that the pandemic really helped that business (laughs) along and it helped it grow. So, I mean, what did the pandemic do for you guys? Well, I think like it was interesting because for M and I, especially we were always remote with one of our teams, right? Like we had the team in Toronto and the team in LA. So we personally was so familiar with that kind of setup. Like we'd go back and forth to LA every month. Um, When we weren't there, we were on zoom with them and same in, in the reverse with Toronto. So we, um, but we were like, and, and still are like very, like from very a business perspective. I mean, you guys are probably insanely busy. 
more so than ever. (laughs) Like it's, you know, COVID um, and the pandemic in general, really like it, it pushed people online um, because people like one, we couldn't leave our houses, you know, we were like pent up inside. It's like, you know, explosion of TikTok, obviously we're like, what can I do for like some mindless entertainment? Um, so huge boosts in, you know, talent going viral, talent needing representation, brands wanting to connect with those talent, um, because it was like, you know, it was really their only way to get in front of like their consumers, right? Because like, they're not doing experiential, they're not sponsoring events, like they just don't have the ability to do any of that anymore. So I think, you know, at the beginning of, at the beginning of 2021, I think our office manager the other day said that we had 16 people and we're ending the year with around 36, Amazing. Um, which is like, it's amazing. Um, but we, we have had to put, I think the hardest thing was training and onboarding people during COVID remotely because culture is like so important to us. And we like, we want everyone to feel like a part of the team. Like it's, it's such a huge, it's very important to M and I. Um, So we, we really structured that. And as M said earlier, like we're both quite structure adverse. Like we, it's neither of our strong suits. Like we're not good at it. Um, so like we ha- kind of have this team be like, I think we need to, uh, like put some structure in place. Like, Oh, I guess like, yeah, we should, we should, you're right. You're right. Um, yeah, the, the culture part was, um, like a challenge though, like to maintain like overall, I think all the things that we just did naturally, I just, just as my dynamic that was kind of spill over to the team. Like we didn't have those opportunities anymore just to kind of be around our team and kind of help to foster that. And I think when I look at um, the industry as a whole, because there was an opportunity with COVID, but it wasn't like a guarantee that anybody who was working in this business was going to have growth, right? Like a lot of them, a lot of companies shut down like during like the past yes. like two years as well. Like a lot of them like couldn't keep it going or couldn't um couldn't like gel the staff or like have like that, that bond like with the staff to kind of pressure because it, it's been a really tough two years on a lot of different levels. Um and I think like that's the part that I'm like the most proud of like when I look back to how we were able to take like shine culture and that, that's why people stay. That's why people want to work with us is because of like who shine is like what shine like represents like as like a culture, but we were able to like muddle our way through finding um, out how we can keep that going and how, when we introduced new talent and new team members that we could give them like that same, you know, like heart of the business when like there were so many team members that Justin had never met until like two months ago. Like it's nuts. Mm -hmm. So I would love to shift gears a little bit and talk about how brands can effectively utilize influencers. And I think, you know, I, and for a lot of brands, this is a new, very new space. You know, I talk to brands all the time and they're like, well, I think I want some influencers and I don't know what to do. And, you know, so what do you tell brands and how do you kind of sell them on the notion that this should be part of their marketing plan and this can help them with their ROI and and what would you recommend to like a small business who doesn't have a giant budget? Yeah, I think setting expectations is a huge part of it um, that that we've learned as well through trial and error um, because it's, you know, we we talk about this a lot that, you know, having an influencer post like one story or one post and expecting to change your business through that, like it's unrealistic, you know, yeah. like we say all the time, it's like, 
doing one radio ad or one TV ad and having one billboard and being like, why, like, why didn't I quadruple my sales? Um, so it's like, it, it is more of a long game and there are influencers who are better at just like brand recognition and, or there are influencers who will drive sales quicker. So I think it's important. And, and we certainly, you know, try to help clients through this process as well, but having an understanding before you go into it of like, what are my goals here? Like, like obviously sales go without saying, like everyone wants to sell whatever they're selling. Um, but like, you know, are you entering a new market? Is it a new product? Is it a new service? Like what, like, what is it that we need to like really, um, like how do we articulate that? Um, and I think that's something that brands like coming into it, especially if you've not done it before, just like giving us from the onset, like, what do you want to achieve here? And also just telling what the budget, telling whoever you're working with, what the budget is. Well, and I Um, think that the budget is, I think you just hit the nail on the head on a big point too. I think, you know, a lot of people are so, um, scared to talk about money. Right. And they don't want to put the budget out because then they're afraid of, you know, not getting the biggest bang for their buck or whatever it is. But I, I wholeheartedly agree with you in the sense that you you have to say what you're willing to spend because you want to use your budget efficiently. Yeah. And like, especially for small businesses, like, like we're also business, like we want you to come back and spend more money with us. You know, like we want it to go well for you. Right. That's how you're going to come back and keep buying. Um, so I think that like, you know, if you say to us, you know, like I don't have a huge budget, like I've got 10 grand to spend, like that's where I'm at. Um, I'm a startup. This is like my marketing budget tapped out. We're going to look at it like, okay, like how can we get the most bang for your buck here? Like the likelihood is that we wouldn't say like, okay, spend the $10,000 on like a large influencer and do one story, but okay, let's spread it out and like, see who's going to have the most traction for you. And then from there, let's bring it down to like maybe one or two people that you can bring on board for like the whole year. Um, again, that's like an example of a strategy. It's not for everyone. Of no, course. no, no, of course. But I, that was, that actually brings me to my next question. And that is, you know, what can a brand expect in terms of like a range of budget? Because you, you were, you know, you talked in the beginning of our interview that, you know, you had this 1200 plan back in the day that you were like, we made it. And, you know, now we know <laughs> that, you know, brands spend millions and millions of dollars on influencer yeah. marketing, but do you need millions and millions of dollars? Or is this something that you could come to you and say, oh, I only have $5,000. I'd like to make yeah. a, an impact. It, what is feasible for a, a small brand? I, I think brands can come in like with a range of budgets and we have seen that like before and maybe maybe our particular talent may not be a fit for their budget scale. But it doesn't mean that another set of talent wouldn't be. What I was going to um, say before before adding just onto what Jess um, was speaking about, I think what brands can do is just when we are evaluating talent, when we're like casting talent, we're looking at their quality of content and their voice and all of that. I feel like brands to have like the most successful shot of having like a great influencer collaboration, they have to be really tight on that as well. Like they have to have like a really well-defined brand. They have to know what their voice is. They have to have really like strong quality product or know what like kind of their hero you know points are in terms of what their product or services are and I feel like if you have that and you know who you are as a brand at least it's easier to be able to match you with a, the right kind of talent to be a great ambassador for that and like I think 95% of it is the match between the brand and the talent and that can only be done if 
you know who you are like as the brand. So in terms of like budget something, there's like stories of brands having like throwing, you know, $1,200 at an influencer collaboration and having like wild success by it. There's those stories and there's the people who have to do more of like a longer term brand build with a, with, um, with a, a, a social talent as well. Um, but there is that part that we can't work magic on the brand side. The brand has to be coming to us like as prepared as possible. And so I think also like trusting the influencer that you've chosen to work with, you know, like I think like getting into it and being like, if the talent's saying like, uh, honestly, I really think that like stories are our best play here because ABCD, like listen to them and again, know that they want to serve something up to their audience that is really valuable and that they'll resonate with and they'll respond to. So having trust in the influences that or the talent that you're working with is, is a really big part of it. As a brand, if you're approached by an influencer who says, you know, I, I really love your brand so much and I'm a huge consumer of your products and I would love to work with you, what would you suggest to the brand are some good kind of next steps or red flags or things to watch out for, things to make sure that are in place when, you know, working with an influencer? Yeah, I think every brand should have like an influencer checklist. Um, so it's like, okay, as M said, like, if you really know what your brand is, like, let's say you really stand for like sustainability, let's like use that as the example. So your checklist might be like, okay, like in their last 10 posts, have they talked about sustainability in their highlight reel? Is there a, is there a highlight on like this? Is there a story highlight on sustainability? Like how much are they talking about this? And, you know, like there might be any, a number of follower checklists. There might be an engagement percentage. There might be a split of male to female. There might be a split of US-based audience. Um, So I think if you have that, then it makes it really simple because you can go through and be like, okay, they have, you know, eight out of the 10 of our checks. Um, They don't have these two, but they're really, really strong in these other ones this is good to move forward with, you know, but if you go through and you're like, ah, honestly, like they never talk about sustainability, maybe they're into it, but like, it's not apparent on their socials. Uh, is it worth it? Do Maybe it, it would be interesting to try someone who doesn't have it as their primary focus. So when their audience hears it, they're like, oh, we don't hear a lot of this from you. I'm, I'm really engaged. Right. Like it's always trial and error. Like every single time, like it's trial, error, tweak. Well, and I was going to ask you, even on the the rate of payment, I think that it is trial and error and there is no like rate card or what to expect to pay. Or, I mean, I'm, I'm approached all the time and I don't even have that many followers. I have like not even 10,000. And, you know, I had someone approach me last week and say, we'll pay you X amount. And it was a brand I really, I believed in. And I said, no, I said, I don't do, you know, I don't do that many paid paid posts. And I, but I do believe in what you're doing, but it has to be this amount in order for me to post something. And it was double what they were willing to pay. And I said, and they said, sure. (laughs) And that was it, you know? So so everything is really, I think just trial and error to your point. There's no kind of set bar, right? With this, it's kind of. Yeah. Rates are funny. And I, I feel like there's like a lot of talk in the like influencer um, landscape about influencer rate talent Mm -hmm. rates. But at the end of the day, like I feel like it really is the same as just about like any other product category like out there. 
we used to like give the example of like the white t-shirt, like, like what does a white t-shirt cost, right? Like you can get a white t-shirt for like $3. You can get a white t-shirt for like a hundred dollars. And it's about like the brand, it's about demand, it's about the marketing, it's about all these things like involved in it. So with talent, there's like, certainly we, when we bring in new talent, we, we look at what they've been um, billing, how they, what, what they've been um, charging for like their different collaborations. And we choose kind of like rate correct, especially honestly, if somebody's been like, um, uh, has expectations that they're really overcharging as well. Like we do have conversations about that to try to get them to a place that makes sense for like the company, um, how, how we uh, charge rates. But then there's also, there is always going to be um, the demand factor as well. And if somebody is like really, you know, in demand for that season or whatever it might be, their rates have to change in reflection of that kind of like a programmatic um, ad buy would work. Yeah, that's such good advice. Such good advice. You know, I want to kind of switch this a little bit because we talked about the brands and we've talked about what a brand should expect from an influencer campaign. What about someone who is looking to become an influencer or someone who finds themselves posting on Instagram and they're very influential and thus they've accumulated a large following and they have an engaged following and then they start getting approached by brands? What what would you tell that person too, because that's, you know, that really goes along with what we're talking about here, which is women founding their own businesses. And that is a business that a lot of women are founding right now. And they are making money off sure. of putting themselves out there on social media. Yeah. And I think it can, it's almost the same answer as the brand in terms of, in terms of like the advice for the brand in that you can have a checklist of like, okay, like what do I stand for? Like, you know, do I want to only work with um, companies who have like recyclable packaging? I'm really on the sustainability bandwagon today. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> Good example though. Do I only want to work with brands who are an affordable price point. Do I only want to work with brands who are made in the US? Do I like what's important to me? Because like, that's like, I feel like talent can sometimes get a little messed up in wanting to be everything for everyone. And it's just not possible. Like, yes, it's just not. There's always someone who doesn't like what you're doing. So like, I think that's where- Thank it's you like, for saying that. Be true to who you are. The brands that will like want to work with you will love working with you because like you're very firm in that and you're very like self-assured online. Um, so I think that that's something that's like, it's really important to remember. Like, like if you want to be everything to everyone, then like there can be like, a million of you, yes. you know, but like you're and you can tell the influencers who want to be, you know, everything to everyone. They're totally. the ones cheesing totally. it up with like the product shots. Nothing's natural. Yeah. And there are a lot of, the, a lot of times the people that you're like unfollow, like I'm unsubscribing exactly. now. So, whereas the talent who like, you know, they're only saying yes to brands that they like love, 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 and think that their audience will love. Um, it just like, it feels so obvious. And maybe it's because we're completely immersed in this, that like it's in our face every day. Um, but I think consumers can like sniff that out as well. A thousand percent. And at the end of the day, it's just short lived, you know, like the, mm. the only, the only currency you have as a content creator is the trust with your audience. hundred percent. And like, once that's done, like you're shit out of luck. Like, it's, I it's could not that. agree more with you. And I, and I'm glad that you said that. And it's, I want to, before I ask you my last question, I want to say something very funny is that I love that you're talking about all this sustainability because ironically, I, this is just a sidebar. I got an email yesterday 
from someone asking me to be on their podcast. And it was like a sustainability podcast. Yeah. Not that I am not sustainable, not that I am not one with the environment. I, you know, I'm all for recycling. <laughs> I love the environment. Okay. I love the environment. But the the description and the ask was like, I think you'd be a great guest on our podcast because we both want to save the earth and we both are so sustainable. I mean, if you look at my Instagram, there is not one thing about sustainability on my Instagram. <laughs> it's all about business. So I mean, it was so funny because it, it yeah. goes back to what you're saying too, about being true to yourself. Like this person clearly yeah. didn't do their job. They didn't do their homework and they were sending right. out like a form email to yeah. guests for podcasts. And it was like delete, you know, right. It's like, it doesn't get anywhere. Yeah. It doesn't get anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I want to be mindful of our time, obviously, but I do want to ask you guys one more question. And I like to ask and end all of our podcasts on a note of actionability for our listeners. And so I would love for you to kind of share with us three tips each. I have two of you, so I'm going to make you both do it. Um, I Three tips each that you would share with someone who's going to start a business or someone who's just started a business or someone who's scared to start a business because that is who's listening to this podcast. And I think so many of the lessons that have come from all of these interviews have really been in this question. And a lot of them, I'm not going to be surprised by your answers. I know that, but I think it is so important to hear these messages time and time again. And so I'd love for you to share your thoughts. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm going to go first in case like, I'm like, I'm going to go first. Um, so the one that I came to mind first was when I actually took the leap to first start to freelance. So I was working, you know, full-time in an agency. And when I had my son, I didn't want to go back to that same like lifestyle. And I was really um, having a hard time deciding what I wanted to do next. And um, a friend of mine who is also very entrepreneurial said to me, you know, and he's like, the most security you're ever going to have though is working for yourself. Cause I had to kind of get past that barrier of um, having security with a full-time job. And it's so true, especially like in like the agency life, when you know, um, agencies lose like a client, that whole team can be gone. Like the next day, it can be really out of your control. But when I had that mindset switch about the security in my finances and in like the job was actually more in my control by, by being an entrepreneur and by freelancing, I was like, oh, and that opened up so much for me. So I would, I would say that, um, I would probably also go back to what we were speaking about earlier about the plans. Like, I think it's great to have goals and to have vision, um, and now in the business, we absolutely have things like projections and we have, we speak about what we'd like to do, you know, over the next year. Um, but we are not set in them. They're not something that we've like established in a way that it makes us feel like we're failing when we're not hitting certain, um, milestones with it. They're just guides. And I feel like they just, they just kind of help shape like the future of where shine's going to go, but, um, they're not so rigid. They're not these big dense documents that take us, you know, hours upon hours to, to complete and our big heavy tasks. So I would um, say that would be another one just to not, um, be too worried if that's kind of not the way that you, Plan, that you're able to progress. And if you're able to you know, take a leap without um, having that big business plan, it's, it's totally fine. And then a third one, gosh, I don't know. I'm kind of stumped for a third one. I'm like, I'm like I'll, I'll, I'll do some. I'm like, do a third one. <laughs> I'll do some. You'll think of another one. Um, so I, my first one was going to be on a fairly similar track, but just like, don't feel like you have to have everything sorted out. 
like, and that you have to know everything. Like there's still so many things that we don't know. Like I'm acutely aware of that. Um, but like to get started, like you'll just figure it out as you go. And like, you don't know the things right now that you don't know yet. Like we, we still don't know, like each year we're like, oh gosh, like we need to learn about this now. You know, like we keep getting challenged with new things. Um, so that would be my number one, just like not feeling like you have to have it all sorted out. Um, number two, oh my gosh, I had one just like flew in and out of my mind so quickly. Hmm. I was going to say um, network. Like I feel yeah. like, you know, Jess and I at the beginning of China, we did like a billion meetings. Like we would take a meeting with absolutely anybody who would take a meeting with us, whether or not we thought it was going to turn into business or maybe they would just get to know us and they would like us and their like sister-in-law would mention something in two years and maybe that would turn into business. We just took meetings like with everybody. And to but be fair, it has. Like it has. Like, totally smart. It's yeah. so sm- that is the smartest advice you could, you could be yeah. giving. I, I mean, I talk to people all day, every day for that reason. And I've gotten business from it. A lot of yeah. it. We've gotten yeah. friends but, uh, through it though, like too. And I think that's the, the point I was going to go on. Like it's tough. And Jess and I are so lucky to have like each other. Um, there's not like a lot of uh, business partners like out there who have like the, the long relationship that we do. And we've seen lots of business partnerships break up as well. So you know how precious it is. Um, but if you aren't um, in a partnership or even if you are like developing like that, like network of like other entrepreneurs as well, who, as you know, you were saying earlier, um, Lindsay, who can like appreciate like what you're going through maybe at different stages of their development. But I think it's really, really important to have um, that support community. So some of the people we met like in the first year of Shine have become like very good friends of ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That. And I think um, as well, like investing in your team, like our network has been hugely important to us. And like, so has our team from like the first people who we like beg to work with us, for, like basically no money. Again, like, thank goodness for them. Um, but you know, we, as we grow and grow, like we're, we're able to do that more and more. Like I know in the beginning, like you can't pay your team, like giant salaries, like that's unreasonable. And you have to be mindful of like the overall health of the business. So you can keep paying these people. Um, but I think like making sure that the people who work, um, within the business know how like valued they are and how important they are to like the whole operation. And then the last one that's kind of on that same um, track. And it's something I've like thought about like so much recently is that I see a lot of entrepreneurs posting about like, like the nine to five is not for me. Like why work for someone else's dream? Like lots of that kind of language. Um, And I just think it must make people who work for them and their dream feel like really awful. So it's something like I'm just personally like very cognizant of because like we were just like, like Emily and I can't do the jobs of 36 people, like obviously, you know, Um, but I think just like, you know, making sure that your team know that like you, you don't have to be an entrepreneur to feel success and to be Um, happy and to be happy. Right. So I think that's something that like, I'm starting to like read a little bit more about it. And like, I was talking to one of our team members about it and, and she was like, it's so interesting that you say that because she's like, I have people say to me all the time, like, you're so good at your job. Like you could start your own agency. She's like, but I like, that's not what success looks like to me. Like success to me is like working here at shine and like loving my job and loving my talent and loving the team. Like that 
is good for me. Like that's mm-hmm. what I want and it's important to them, you know? So I think there was something like, that happened like a couple of years ago. I feel like the real like entrepreneur, like boom. And when like students are getting out of yeah. school instead of going into jobs, like they were starting their own businesses mm-hmm. and believing that they were skipping steps and all that. And I, I think that's like started to equalize out a lot more probably with the pandemic um, as well. And just people uh, like also like appreciating good companies and like companies where they can have opportunity and like feel part of the the growth of it as well um but that's like a whole other conversation on culture I was gonna say like like, you you can get us going if you'd like I know I feel like the actual like tip in there or like the actual piece of advice is to try and build a company where you'll give your team opportunities to like flex their entrepreneurial muscles within that environment that's the actual tip I I love that but I have come back to the tip. I love that. Jess Hunnishin and Emily Ward of the Shine Talent Group. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge with us, because I know that this is a topic that a lot of people are intrigued by yet don't know much about. So I'm sure there's going to be follow-up questions. I'm sure that we're going to have to have you back at some point, but I so appreciate your time. So thank you so much for joining me today on Dear Founder. Thank you so much for having us. How amazing are Emily and Jess and their story? Another thing that I want to mention, Shine Talent Group impressively acquired Toronto-based influencer management agency, Fourth Floor Management, and its founders created the BODCON, the first and only virtual conference focused on body confidence and radical self-acceptance. Speakers for the BODCON included Jamila Jamil, the actress and creator of inclusivity platform, iWay, Sarah Nicole Landry, the body confidence activist and creator behind The Bird's Papaya, and Hunter McGrady, the legendary plus-size Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. The BODCON has since expanded into a robust virtual body confidence community, podcast, and event series. The second annual BODCON 2022 virtual conference will take place this month, February 27th, 2022. You can find more information through the link in our notes. Emily and Jess left us with some great takeaways from today. Take out your pen and paper because everyone needs to write these down. Here they are. Number one, when it comes to influencers, what's important? Content, numbers, and the message. Followers are important, but metrics and engagement are even more important. And the most important is the message. Does the influencer add value to a really cluttered social space? Number two, Utilize your missteps and put them into into action when making new plans. Number three, try new things. Companies who don't do this have an expiration date and you definitely don't want that. Number four, if you're working with an influencer, trust the talent and what works best for their community. They know their audience. It's important to trust them and the person that you're working with. Number five, every brand should have an influencer checklist. If you really know what your brand stands for, then you can create a checklist to quote, check influencers who want to work with you. Number six, talent can get messed up in wanting to be everything to everyone, but be true to who you are. The brands who want to work with you will love to work with you. Number seven, consumers can sniff out inauthenticity. The only currency you have as a content creator is the trust with your audience. Once that's done, you're shit out of luck. Number eight, Emily was told the most security you're ever going to have is working for yourself. 
when she had the mindset switch that the security was in her control that really opened up so many opportunities for her. Number nine, have goals and vision, but don't establish in a way that you feel like you're failing when you don't hit milestones. Number 10, don't feel like you have to have everything sorted out and that you have to know everything. To get started, you'll figure it out as you go. You don't know the things that you don't know yet. Number 11, network, network, network. Develop that network of other entrepreneurs who can appreciate what you're going through at different stages. It's so important to have that support. Number 12, invest in your team. You have to be mindful of the overall health in the business, but make sure that the people who work in the business know how valuable they are to the operation. Number 13, try and build a company where you'll give your team the opportunity to flex their entrepreneurial muscle within your environment. I cannot thank you enough for being here and for joining us for today's episode of Dear Found Her. Make sure that you follow at Lindsay Pinchuk and at Dear Found Her on Instagram for more. You can also go to lindsaypinchuk.com slash freebie to download some of my tips, tools, and resources for starting a business and for managing the social media beast. And don't forget, tomorrow is the last day to sign up for my first ever small business marketing bootcamp starting next week. Don't forget to also join the Dear Founder Facebook community for more discussions to help propel your success. I go live there regularly to share lessons and to answer your questions. Plus, that's where I put all the information about all of my upcoming events. We have some amazing guests coming up, so please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. If you know someone who start who wants to start their own business, just like Jess and Emily, or who has started a business or who has an amazing idea for a business, text them this episode or post it on your Instagram. Make sure to tag me at Lindsay Pinchuk and I'll reshare some of those to say thank you. I'll be back next week with another episode of Dear Founder. Her.